have you actually read those books or are they oh, just yeah. for no, show? Of course not. So no, you pick like these you know, these really highbrow titles and then just put them behind you like, yes, I've read that three times. You can see where I've dog-eared the pages. I would say that I've read um, probably like 70% of them. Okay, very good. This is the Kim and Tim Show from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. I'm David Schifrin. Kim Fox is a partner here at Gerard and heads up our regional practice. Tim Stewart is a senior vice president in our national and academic practice. Here's what we've got for the conversation today. A quick intro about the Supreme Court's ruling on vaccine mandates, which sort of clarified things, but also just added to the swirl of confusing laws, guidelines, suggestions, and other ideas. Uh, that part of the conversation leads into a deeper chat about the pressure on the healthcare workforce and the individual caregivers that make it up with a pointed nod to some of the poorly crafted, very unempathetic responses to a powerful video about the nursing shortage from the New York Times. If you've seen it, you know. If you don't, go check it out. And then finally, a what do we do about it closing that looks at how hospital leaders can work to turn the ship when it comes to that shortage. What will it take to recruit and retain the caregivers needed going forward? So a couple of times in the conversation, Kim referenced a new national survey that we just released. It looks at perceptions of healthcare and hospitals among the public, and it digs into how the healthcare workforce is doing. Check that out at gerardinc.com, J-A-R-R-A-R-D-I-N-C.com. And of course, please subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening now. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're here to talk about. What does matter? Yeah, what are we here to talk about? I I'm fired up. I, I'm ready I, to go. Yeah. What does What does matter is um, the Supreme Court's vaccine mandate. Yes. Last week, which we've now had time to process a little bit. They upheld potentially that. See how that's going. Mm -hmm. And then what that means for hospitals who are trying to figure out what to do with their workforce, mm -hmm. which <laughs> if. I don't know if you've noticed, but the healthcare workforce is struggling right now. It so is. let's just briefly go over the Supreme Court ruling and and how that ties into the guidance or lack of guidance that we've been hearing and just really how it adds, I think, to the confusion around the whole vaccine thing and then the implications that's having on the healthcare workforce. So I can jump in there, Tim, because I, for some reason, I don't know why I have been doing a lot of vaccine mandate work <laughs> the last, I don't know months and months. But yeah, so the Supreme, we all know the Supreme Court upheld the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, not for businesses, large businesses, but for healthcare workers that are for companies that need Medicare and Medicaid dollars, which is everybody. So I think most health systems figured it was going to go that way. And we're getting ready. Um, some of them had already just gone straight down the road and it were already the vaccines were already mandated. They've already gone through everything. Uh, I know a health system that I work with in Kentucky, as, as scared as they were about all of this, lost a grand total of 10 employees in a pretty large health system because of this. Now that there's exemptions, there's all the, the process that you yeah. have to go through. But at the end of the day, there's a, 10 lot, people a lot more left, smoke than fire. Yeah. 10 people left the organization. Now it was a lot to get there and a lot of angst. But then there's still confusion. Like, for example, in Florida, after the Supreme Court ruling, he came out and said, we're not going to enforce this in this state in Florida. Right. So that creates another confusion and ability for people to get all fired up about it again. 
Uh, so he's very saying surprising we're not gonna... to see Ron DeSantis uh, capitalize on. Fire yeah, I don't know where that came I, out I of left field for me. Definitely a guy <laughs> that has been reticent to weigh in on these issues, and right. so I, I, I just think I think we all appreciate finally hearing from Ron DeSantis on public health issues. Yeah, well, you know, you might want to keep listening because he's probably going to be the next president. But anyway, we'll just set that aside for now. But anyway, so it's still confusing in that state, although. And I loved his wording of what did he what did he call it? We're not going to be the biomedical police, uh, which I thought was nicely written. But it's still causing confusion. But I think they're going to have to go forward. Federal law, you know, overshadows state law, and everybody knows that too. But it does it just throws mess into more mess for those hospitals in Florida and nursing homes too. And I'm not just hospitals, but and then on top of this, Tim the mess on top of the mess on top of the mess with the CDC tripping all over itself Ugh. to change the guidelines on quarantining and positive tests, no positive tests, asymptomatic when people can return to work. Like that's another yeah. layer to this. Well, I, and I, I think it, it feeds into what we're talking about here as far as like workforce implications, um, you know, to Kim's point on the, the vaccine mandate within healthcare, like this was a, a situation where, you know, frankly, for a lot of our clients, they very much appreciated not having to be the one making the decision, yes. having it be something that the government had decided, and also not being something where they had to try to coordinate in market because it's like, oh, well, you know, do we go out first? Does someone else? We go with a full mandate. Are they going to go someplace? You know, are we going to have a bunch of nurses quit and go across town? Mm -hmm. So for hospitals and health systems, I think the mandate's been very effective. It's been you know an effective tool to be deployed that they don't have to, to they, they don't have to be in charge of themselves the cdc's guidance changing to the five days i think was sort of the opposite of that hmm. it put a lot of employers across the country but particularly in healthcare, in an uncomfortable position of having to decide okay, we've been following this 10 days because it's what the CDC says. Do we immediately change to five days, especially against the backdrop when we're in the middle of a surge where a lot more people have it? And I, I think there are there's sort of reasonable different ways of looking at this as far as, you know, symptomatic, asymptomatic, wh whether it can be um, transmitted. None of that really factors into how the CDC rolled this out or how it's been received, which for most people seems to be driven by you better work. You better get to work because <laughs> we cannot afford people not working right or wrong, fair or not. I don't think the CDC has earned the benefit of the doubt at this point. Um, that is how it's been widely received. It has been widely received as economically driven rather than health driven. Oh, and then it has forced individual actors in every company in the country but for our purposes every hospital into a decision on what the policy is going to be for caregivers sort of midstream in the middle of a surge how how do we recalibrate you know if you're making a decision today on thursday do the five days start tomorrow do they start saturday I, it's just thrown a it ton is very of confusing. uncertainty and and dissatisfiers for employees Anyway, on top of that, a lot of health systems are, if you test positive but feel okay, come on back to work if you feel like it, and we'll, and that'll be okay. That's been, I think, interesting as well. It's left, it, it feels like it's left us all in this position of, let me just decide for myself how, what I feel comfortable with. Yeah. 
because we yeah. are all scientists now and know what you know exactly what COVID well, is going to do. Well, everyone's exhausted. Everyone, yeah, everyone is beyond exhausted. I think we've been talking about you know people yeah. being exhausted about this for a year and a half. People are beyond that point now, and they yeah. just I think particularly this wave has fortunately been considerably less severe, particularly for people who are vaccinated mm-hmm. than, than previous waves. Yep. And so it, it is, it has been interesting to see. And, you know, we, we work in communications. I think a communications issue here over the last couple of weeks has been health systems explaining why they're short, why they have shortages right now, which is like, having staff out it, yes. you know most of the clients that i talk to aren't overrun with covid patients they are underrun with employees with who yeah. are able to work yeah and so that they don't have the staffing for beds right it's a functional matter as much as it is anything else and, so, and i think that's been something that people have had some difficulty in communicating. Yeah, and I think we've had a couple of clients that have been trying to sort of share that or communicate that to reporters that call and ask, what's your bed capacity? How many of this do you have? How many ICU beds? It's like you said, it's it's not really the beds that are the problem. We can add beds. But there's only so many people to staff them, which is frightening, but um, that's sort of where we are. Like if, if, if you can't uh, just create people out of thin air, and it's not sustainable long term to have marketing and administration folks coming in and grabbing linens. They have to come up with long term solutions. And the other piece of this challenge is that the the healthcare workforce is looking at that. They're stressed. They're tired. There was the the video in the New York Times that pinned the blame for the shortage squarely on hospitals and saying it's not COVID. It's not all this other stuff, right? I mean, so th- that is a narrative that is starting to seep out there. There has to be a long-term response to this, right? What's the response? Well, so a couple of things. I mean, that video is wildly effective. It's a very effective video that clearly articulates a point of view and has been met with the same sort of pablum that often um, these sorts of issues are met with. And I, I don't know how many times people are going to do this, but responding to an emotional human video that features six people who have been through the most trying professional experience of their lives with a like 72 paragraph press release yeah. <laughs> that that like tries to fact check it is idiotic. I mean it's just it's just beyond dumb and hopefully we can keep this in. I just think it's so stupid and tone deaf right now. There are some like factual pieces of of that conversation. So, uh, you know, for people who haven't seen it, this video is not only pointing the blame squarely at hospitals, but specifically about staffing shortages that like hospitals and health systems are and have historically understaffed, particularly in nursing, in order to drive up margins. I, I am not an economist. I'm not going to pretend to dabble in sort of how the, the labor costs are calculated. What I can say um, from the perspective of the people that we work with is that every health system I work with has like a thousand nursing positions posted right yeah. now. Yeah. They are ty- They are trying to hire nurses. That's a fact. Like you, you know, if you go and check your large regional health system, there will be hundreds, if not a thousand nursing jobs posted. Mm -hmm. So they are trying to hire more people. 
I think hundreds of people out sick with hundreds of people out sick and also a job market right now that is extremely lucrative to not be employed by a health system as a nurse. It's extremely lucrative to be a travel nurse right now. I don't begrudge anyone for getting their bag, take advantage, Mm -hmm. go get the money. But like there, it is true that there are more nurses licensed in this country than there ever have been. We know that hospitals and health systems are trying to hire them. I, I don't, you know, beyond that, I think that there's, a really strong and persuasive emotional argument that nurses and other healthcare workers are making that is not just about their employer, but is about the circumstances of how they work and what it feels like. And, you know, the voice for hospitals is coming in with like, well, actually, ma'am, here's what, here, let me, let me hit you with some facts. Yeah. That's, I don't understand why, health systems you talk about people on video sharing their stories why health systems are so scared to be real so scared to be people to show people they're so scared to show emotion you cannot fight emotion with facts we know like everybody knows this so why are health systems so scared of showing themselves as being real I don't know what it is, but the idea that of showing the same emotion to match emotion with emotion, sprinkled with some facts, but you're not a, a 42 paragraph press release that tries to refute the points in a video from four or six nurses. I, like you're never going to win. Let's just put that out. It's there. also you're not just win lacking in empathy. It's, it's yes. And also it's reflective of like what we hear everywhere. It's not like they cherry picked a point of view. This, that isn't, seems to be an authentic mainstream nursing position and to respond without empathy for people who have been living in hell for two years just seems ridiculous. Yeah. And I think too, our our recent national survey that we did, it, it illustrates the point of there is a huge divide between how people feel about the provision of care and those who provide it and the business of healthcare. And so, you know, why would you create another divide by being all, like you said, actually, (laughs) ma'am, you're wrong. That's what it felt like. That was, what do you know? You dumb nurse that works at the bedside two years, saving people's lives. (laughs) Our flexible staffing model actually does. It's like, no, come on. Yeah. And, and, and to be, to be clear, I'm not saying that healthcare leaders lack empathy. And aren't people? No, and that <laughs> they are. But the, and the institutional the voice, and, and I think that's yes. what I think that's where we're where we are uniquely frustrated. I think yes. when you see responses like that, because I I wouldn't blow smoke. I mean, I might, but I'm not right now. The people that we deal with, the executives and mm-hmm. leadership of these organizations, are grounded in empathy. I have been absolutely pleasantly surprised over and over again by the orientation and just depth of feeling that leaders within the organizations have. I, I think that they are oriented the right way. Now it is still a business and that, and that is, that's yeah. becoming increasingly clear. Um, and that's some of the stuff that we see in our survey results, but I just get frustrated because I see the level of sort of care and empathy mm-hmm. that our individual organizations have 
and then it ladders up into a group response that just doesn't reflect that. It just, I don't, I, I don't get it. The other thing that I was going to say or ask Kim about is I, I think one of the action items I think that we could recommend or think about is like, you can't fake culture. And that I think is what yeah. is becoming more, it, that's one of the things that's been laid bare here. Like people mm -hmm. who are just paying lip service to their culture are being, and, that, and that's where I think mm -hmm. our employees are. And so if you want to say like, you know, what's important to us is maintaining a direct relationship with our nurses. You actually have to have a direct relationship with your nurses and you have to be able to point to how that shows itself yeah. in how the governed and how they work and how we staff. If you don't have that, then you are just paying lip service and you're getting exposed now. You'll and be so exposed. Like, yeah. Yeah. There, you can't hide. I think a lot of our health systems have very aggressive recruiting goals. We just talked about everybody has, you know, a thousand nurses, nursing positions open. And so um, in our, our survey also showed us that there are a lot of nurses out there and they love, they feel called to this yeah. profession. They don't feel called to work at a hospital necessarily, right? right. They, they, they want to be a nurse. There's lots of places to be a nurse. So if you look at the aggressive goals for recruitment from hospitals and health systems, you know, where we're going to recruit 300 nurses by, you know, the end of February, what you're going to have to do actually is steal them from another health system. Actually. 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 Did I say actually? You did. You said actually. Actually, actually ma'am. Actually, ma'am, you're going to have to steal them from some other health system because the nurses that or get them work back from travel. And, and like, you know, give, give them a home, give right, them give a them culture a home that they to, yeah. want to come to. And so you talk about the culture is, is increasingly important. Think, you know, might want to focus on that and think about that and, and capture it and make sure it's actually a thing, actually real and talk to your nurses. And I, I, it's just the idea of putting a goal out there of recruiting 300 nurses by the end of February does not make it happen. Right. And I it think that the other, real. the other piece of that is. Um, and I was going to say not to plug us, but I mean, this whole thing is to plug us. Um, the, sure, why the nurse doing engagement this? work, that it has to be actual engagement. You can say like, oh, we got an engagement plan. In, in this particular space, you talk about recruiting, we talk about retention, we, there are HR elements, there are public facing elements. Mm -hmm. You have to have a unified strategy and the places that are, that we work with that are having some success have all of those people at the table. And there are a lot yes. of organizations where these initiatives happen in silos. And the chief nursing officer has their own vertical. HR has their own nursing outreach. And they have their own Facebook page for recruitment. But then the retention is, you know, you have to align all these stakeholders to build um, what I believe we call here at Gerard Phillips and Kate Hancock is a um, campaign approach. Mm -hmm. A robust I, I I would not call it robust. I <laughs> you may, but I will not okay. be caught. And a dead. disciplined approach. I, that's that's my it's <laughs> my control F so, robust on every so, document. Actually, sir. All right. So I, what? Uh, do, do we <laughs> put a bow on it? We got to. <laughs> we're out of time. Yeah. What's, what's so? What's the what's the first step? How do you how do you just, take that first can, step? Can you just do your... a post that wraps us all up? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so step one to nursing engagement, call Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Okay. I like, mean, what's, I would. What's the thing? Well, yeah. yeah. I certainly would too. Take us out, Kim. Well, I think 
I, I think a key piece of that, and, and Tim just mentioned it, but maybe maybe let me say it better. <laughs> no, I mean, um, is that is, is getting <laughs> build get, on? You just build the, off. Yes, it. building on it. Yes, not making it better, but is aligning make, make Tim's all point the more pieces, robust, right? All <laughs> uh, yes, aligning all the pieces. So if if so and so is in charge of recruitment and then this person this department over here is in charge of um retention and this person over here is you know it's like all those pieces have to come together so so yes alignment is a good word but bringing the nurses to the table for real instead of just saying they're there in sense of saying that you are is like okay well now we have this engagement plan with our nurses that nurses haven't been involved in because I think if you talk to your nurses, you would find that what what you think they want may not be what they want. So we just did a, a survey, a nursing survey, and a client recently, and what they wanted was it was simple. I want to feel heard, and I want people to recognize the work that I do, and I want to to know what's going on. Those are pretty simple things. It's not like you know a, a ten thousand dollar bonus every month to stay here. It's not. I mean, it's sometimes it's about money, but at the end of the day, they want an environment where they feel heard and appreciated, uh, and know what's going on, and uh, all of those things. That's that's communication. That's engagement, and, and it's not very just when basic we're basic level. And not just when we're like trying to get magnet or um, worried about right. the union organizing. Like they've, right. it's sustained, consistent engagement. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's not hard because it is. It's hard to do it consistently. It's hard to stay on top of it. It's hard to not let other priorities get in the way. Um, but it's not impossible. It's It just takes... You have to focus on it like you focus on anything else, and it has to be one of your top five priorities. Or, or it's just not going to happen. We didn't even talk about it. You're freezing to wear a mask. This is next.